we serve a truly great God. So as we begin our time of, or continue our time of worship by looking into God's Word today, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a great and good God. A God who gives us all that we need, that promises us your presence in the midst of difficulty, and Lord, shows your power again and again. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word today, that you will give us wisdom and discernment, and Lord, help us to apply what you teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I started last week by asking the question I'm going to ask you again this week. How are you doing? How's life? It's different for all of us. And as we pile on these weeks, it becomes different every week. We had a, one of our children literally wake up this morning, get breakfast, and get ready to start doing schoolwork. We had to tell her, no, it's Sunday. It's not Monday. Changes how you view the world. This whole pandemic changes how we view the world, how we view life, how we view things that we're used to or that we have around us all the time. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the things our family has been doing is we've been watching a lot of movies. Just almost every night in the last week, we've sat down after dinner, everything's kind of settled down, and we watch a movie together. And we've we've run through lots of them: Narnia movies. We've watched the uh, we watched Onward, that's on Disney Plus now, and uh, different movies. In fact, if you've got a movie that your family's watched, you're like, man, this was a great movie, or you're by yourself, you're quarantined, and you've watched a movie, put it in the comments. We're all looking for stuff to do. Maybe you've got one that we could check out. But as I was watching those movies, it even changes your perspective on those movies. So for instance, we as a family watch for the first time as a family the 1996, I think, classic Space Jam. You know the story of Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes playing a basketball game against the Monstars. If you're not familiar with that, it was a uh, Looney Tune, Michael Jordan creation. They're remaking it in modern day times in the next year or two. But it's a crazy movie. And one of the craziest things that happens there at the beginning is that these aliens go and steal the basketball ability, the talent of NBA players. And when it happens, the players literally just kind of flop around on the court. And as a result of this, one of the scenes in the movie that seems oddly predictive now has the Los Angeles Forum, where the Lakers are playing at that time, quarantine and the NBA shutting down its season because of a mysterious virus. As we were watching it, my two boys just yelled out, Corona, started yelling about how the fact that it looked like it was made almost today. Another incident that happened this week in my family, uh, we were, I was sitting in my room doing some things when Ava ran in and said, Dad, you're not going to believe it. She said, I was looking for towels underneath my sink and I found six rolls of toilet paper we didn't know we had. It was a quarantine miracle. Now you can imagine that we see things differently because of what's happening in our lives. And today what I want to do is I want to look at Mark chapter 5 and see how Jesus and interaction with him can change how we view the world. 
Now, as we get started again, I want to talk for just a moment to my um, elementary school age kids and my preschool kids. Uh, This is another great sermon that would be awesome for you to draw, okay? So last week, thank you so many of you that sent in or sent me either text messages or put them on Facebook or, or sent it through our Facebook Messenger and showed me what you had drawn. I really do appreciate all those that drew last week. Um, I was a little concerned when Maddie Oliver drew a picture of a cat attacking me from the last week's sermon, but I, I appreciate you drawing those kind of things for me. And so I want you to draw this week, and parents, I want you to, again, send them to me. I want to see them. I want to see what's going on with them. I want to see how your kids are interacting with the sermons. Again, also take pictures of your family in the midst of worship. Put them on um, Facebook or your social media this afternoon. Let us know how you're watching. But Mark chapter 5, hopefully you've got a Bible. Hopefully you can turn there. If not, maybe you as a family can share. But Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to read sections of this passage. We're going to talk about those sections. And then we're going to come back at the end. I'm going to give you four things that I think this passage reminds us of. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They, that's Jesus and the disciples, remember where we were last week. Last week he calmed the storm, they're on the sea galley, they're on their way to the other side. So it says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, or immediately getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. And no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So here's how this story begins. It starts with this man who obviously has difficulties. Now, here's the thing. This story is told in two other Gospels. It's told in Matthew and it's told in Luke. But neither of those two Gospels go into the detail that Mark does. In fact, Matthew only has about five or six verses of this particular story. Mark gives us 20 and gives us amazing detail. Again, we talked about last week that this shows eyewitness account, that they were there. They acknowledged seeing all of these things. Now, a couple things that Mark wants to point out about this story as we kind of move into it is this. Right away, he wants us to know that this is an unclean environment. Now, in Jewish culture, that was a huge deal. Over the last few weeks, we've learned about social distancing and staying away and wearing masks and not being around each other six feet distance. But in their day and time, there was a whole group of people, a whole class of people that were considered unclean and you wouldn't get anywhere around. And immediately... Mark wants us to understand that Jesus is in an unclean environment. First of all, he tells us that he went to the land of the Gentiles. That is not a land where Jews normally went. He secondly tells us that this man comes running out of the tombs, out of the cemetery. That was an unclean environment. Cemeteries were not considered clean. They were not places you ought to be or people that hung out with them you didn't touch or get around. He says that there's an unclean spirit. Now some Bibles interpret that to say evil, but it literally says unclean spirit within him. And a little bit later in the story, which is a fascinating twist we'll get to. There are pigs involved, and pigs were unclean animals among there. And there are apparently men on this side of the lake, that on this side of the sea, that are raising, herding, taking care of pigs. 
And so what he's saying is that we have a man with an unclean spirit among unclean tombs surrounded by people with an unclean occupation. Mark also wants us to see how thoroughly affected this man has become by by whatever is bewitching him. He gives us some details that are important to the Jewish mind that would have been reading this because in Judaism there were four signs that someone was what they considered insane. First of all, one of those signs was running around at night. Secondly, was spending the night in the cemetery. Third, was tearing your clothes. And fourth, was destroying whatever had been given to you. And we see a picture of this man sleeping in the cemetery, running around at night, tearing his clothes and destroying the shackles or the chains that they put on him. The picture that we're given of this man is literally that he has become less than human that he is somehow like a wild animal. In fact, the word that is used that says no one could tame him is the word that was used of a wild animal, like a lion, that no one could tame. He was thoroughly impacted by whatever it was that was underneath it. Another way to describe this man is that he was a dead man walking. He lived in the cemetery. No one would come around him. No one would touch him. People were socially distancing from him all the time. There was no one that would have any interaction, any connection, no family, no friends, no business acquaintances. We have been social distancing for three weeks. This man had spent a lifetime, it would feel like, social distancing because no one would come near. Verse 6. When he, that's the man, saw Jesus from the distance, he ran and knelt before him. And he cried out with a loud voice. Now here's what's interesting about this particular passage. That this man, that it goes back and forth between singular and plural. And we see that in just a moment why that happens. And he screamed with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. So we get the underlying cause of what's happening to this man. Why he's cutting himself with stone. Why he's living in the cemetery. Why he's cut off from society. It's because he has been possessed. He has been demonized. He has had an evil spirit within him. And this unclean spirit is evil. I want you to notice a few things about this spirit's control on him or what we have here happening. First of all, I want you to see that when Jesus first interacts, it says he comes out to him. Apparently, we learn in verse 8 that Jesus says to the spirit, come out of him, you unclean spirit. And when the man hearing Jesus say that says that he knelt down before him, the word there literally is to get low to the ground, to prostrate yourself as low as you can. It is the signal of defiance. It is the signal of, I mean, not defiance. It's a signal of, of, of surrender and that you are not being defiant, that you are giving everything else. There's an immediate contrast here between the one that can't be controlled and the man laying at the feet of Jesus. And the Spirit speaking through the man say to him, what do we have in common, Jesus? Or Mind your own business or stay out of my territory. This is mine. He asked the man or asked the demons to come out. And in the midst of that, Jesus says to the demons, what is your name? 
And he gives an interesting name, the name Legion. Now, we don't know that there is any evidence of anywhere else in all of ancient history where the word legion was used as an actual proper name. So I'm not saying this man's name isn't actually legion. The demons, the evil spirits inside of him, are proclaiming that they are in control. And legion in that time would have immediately brought to mind the Roman occupying army. And for them, a legion was a group of 6,000 soldiers that moved in unison together. What he basically is saying is, the demon, the evil spirit is saying, we control him. An army of us are in control. Now, that doesn't mean that there were literally 6,000 you could count. It just means too many to number and we're in control. It says at the end that he begs for Jesus not to send them out of the region. We'll come back to this in a few moments. But it's interesting to me that an army of demons is no match for Jesus. This is where it gets a little strange, all right? Verse 11. Not that it hasn't been strange already, but it even increases that. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs. Now, by the way, pigs don't herd together, but apparently it's just the word they use, a big size of them. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged, send us into the pigs so he may enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The word, by the way, used there, the verb gives this picture of one by one, the pigs falling off the cliff. Now, I'll just be honest with you. This is a strange little portion of this. And when I went this week looking for research, looking at places, there are some places that I normally go, there are commentaries that I look at, but then I'll look at what other pastors are done, what other people have talked about, articles that may be there. And one of the things that I've noticed is not many people talk about this passage out of Mark anymore very much. And part of the reason that I read is like, why don't they talk about it? Well, first of all, we'll talk about this in a minute, the spiritual warfare aspect, that we're not as comfortable with that aspect of life anymore. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But a second portion of this is the pigs. Like, nobody, you know, pigs for us, for some of us, for many of us, have become cute little things, right? Um, We play, um, this little piggy went to market, and we talk about, oh, you little piggies. And um, we think about Christmas story, how's the piggy eat, and babe, and and what's going on with that, and uh, pet pigs, and Wilmer from Charlotte's Web. And some people are like, oh, don't do that to the pigs. So they just don't talk about it because they don't want Peter coming after him, I guess. The second reason sometimes we don't talk about that is, or they're upset about this is what about the economic impact? This is a whole livelihood of people. What is Jesus? Jesus doesn't care about this. Jesus doesn't care about people's economic impact when the pigs rush off the cliff. As I thought about it this week, I do want to talk about it just for a minute because it gets to a bigger point. First of all, Jesus and Mark don't make any comment about the pigs at all. They don't care at all about the pigs in this story. That's not part of the story, really, other than to say it happened. We'll explain why they wrote it in a moment, but the pigs themselves are not of concern. And one of the things that we have to learn is sometimes in an environment, and we've learned to appreciate things we have more now in the last few weeks than perhaps we did before that, but in many parts of the world, pigs are animals that are there for food. I remember the first mission trip I ever took to Brazil. We worked in an orphanage, 
We worked there for five days. But for five days, the orphanage fed us at lunch. One of the days, I remember, I think it was the first day we got there, they took us on a tour of the orphanage, and they had a working farm on the back out near a lake, and they had a more of a pond, really. But they had pigs, and they had, they had chickens, and they had all of that stuff. And I remember they introduced us to their pigs, like this is so-and-so, and they gave us a name. I don't remember the names now. They were in Portuguese, so I really couldn't translate them. But they, they, these are the names of our pigs. We worked all week there, and on Friday, we had done VBS there. The kids had a great week, saw several kids saved. It was an awesome week. On Friday, they wanted to have a big lunch for us to celebrate. And so they brought out their finest food, and they brought out some of the best bacon I have ever eaten in my life. And I asked one of the girls that had kind of been a part of the group that I'd been around. She didn't speak any English, so we'd have an interpreter between us. And I said... Just, man, where do they get their bacon? And she just looked at the interpreter, and I could hear her say the name because I remembered the name from Monday. It was the name of their best pig. It's just food. Now, the reason the pigs are in this story are a couple of reasons. First of all, it reminds us, Jesus reminds us, that this one man that the demons came out of is more important to him than the 2,000 pigs on the hillside. That there's a special relationship between God and man because of the image of God that is within us. Second reason is that there is a symbolic victory over evil with the pigs. For the Jewish people, pigs had come to represent paganism. That a couple of hundred years before this happened with Jesus, during a time that we have silence on the prophet's part from the end of the Old Testament to the New Testament, there was a group of people, Seleucids and others, that came in and conquered the people of Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, one of the things that they did is they took a pig, Antiochus IV, took a pig and sacrificed a pig on the holy altar of God. They called it the abomination of desolation. They took captive many of the Jerusalem people in Jerusalem and they made them eat pig skin in defiance of their God, and if they didn't, they tortured them. And so for these people, pigs were the symbol of paganism, of evil. And so as they jump off the cliff, it is another sign of Jesus' victory over evil. But the real reason that it's in here is because it gives an explanation for the reaction of the community. If Jesus had just called the demons out of the man and the man was fine, they probably would have been, that's awesome, man. We love this guy. But that's not what happened. They went into their economic comfort zone. And as the pigs go over the cliff, the people realize we can't handle this man. Look at what it says there in verse 14. The men who tended them ran off. And reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told him about the pigs, and then they began to beg him to leave their region. 
I want you to see there's a couple of tra- there's a transition that happens in the midst of this. They tell them, hey, you've got to come out and see this. The guy that was crazy, the guy that was um, insane, the guy that was cutting himself, the guy that lived among the tombs, he's good. And the man that did it is standing there. And so they go out there. And when you look down, it says he, they saw the man dressed in his right mind. That's verse 15. Dressed in his right mind. And it says they were afraid. Now, last week we talked about the difference between panicky fear that we saw in the disciples in the midst of the boat and awe-filled fear that we see in the disciples at the end when they look at Jesus and said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey? Well, when it says here they were afraid, it's the second one. The awe-filled, reverent, respectful, this man is something out of this world. But then... They told him about the pigs and how that had destroyed it and their economy had gone. And they're like, we can't have Jesus here if he's going to disrupt that. And so they beg him to leave. Verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus, verse 19, the only request in this whole story Jesus doesn't fulfill did not let him go, but told him, Go home to your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. So the man, by the way, when it says he was sitting there, it shows calmness, it shows peace, and it's also the position of a disciple, says to Jesus, Jesus, let me go. Normally would expect Jesus would say, come follow me. And there are lots of reasons that people give for why he didn't allow the man to come. What's interesting is throughout Mark, he's been telling people, hey, don't tell people what I'm doing. Hey, don't tell people what's going on. But to this man, in a Gentile setting, he tells him, go be my witness to your family. When you have that homecoming, that reunion with your family, tell them about what I've done. And at the end of verse 20, it says, and they, those that heard, those that were understanding how this lives had been changed, how Jesus had changed this man's life, how Jesus had changed this man's perspective, were amazed, overwhelmed. So what do we learn from this kind of strange storm? There's lots of strange there. That's demon possession by thousands of demons and one man possibly. There's pigs jumping off of a cliff. There's Jesus having a conversation with the demons, bargaining it seems with the demons. Jesus telling them, hey, don't worry about um, don't coming with me. Stay where you are. That's your mission. We've got townspeople throwing him out. There are four things that I think we need to learn from this passage of Scripture that can apply at any time, but also especially in this time. And the first thing that we learn from this passage that has to be a part of what we understand is that evil is real. Evil is real. There is no doubt from Mark's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, from what's happening in this passage, that what is behind the problems of this man is the enemy of our souls, is Satan, is the demons that are controlling him. Let me just say right from the very beginning, from the very outset, not all mental, not all physical, not all emotional, and not all spiritual problems are because of the evil one's extreme influence on anyone's life. 
Not all of them are that way. There are medical conditions. There are realities in our lives that sometimes we're able to come up with our own way. The enemy doesn't have to give us ideas. I heard this week about a sister in the midst of this quarantine that the mother walked in and she was fighting with her brother and she pulled his hair and kicked him in the shins. And she said, girl, the devil must have got a hold of you to make you pull your brother's hair and kick him in the shins. And she said, the devil may have told me to pull his hair, but I thought of kicking his shins on my own. Like we can come up with our own. So not everything is a product of the enemy in our lives. But there's a lot more that has spiritual dimensions, spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes than we give credit for in our modern world. C.S. Lewis is famous. I've quoted this a lot in my time here at the church in saying, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or evil or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the demons, are equally pleased by both errors. I don't know how else to say this other than this. The New Testament is abundantly clear that there are evil spiritual forces that are actively engaged against God's people and even those people who have yet to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus says the thief, Satan, comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. When you think about the man in this passage, what we see is that he has had his life stolen from him, that he is literally living among the tombs, and his entire existence is on the verge of being destroyed. And Satan, the enemy of our souls, his demons are actively engaged in warring against God's people and even those that haven't come to understand Him as Savior yet. Over the last few weeks, one of the things that's been constant almost every day is a a briefing by the president and associates about what's happening. And one of the things that I've heard the president say again and again that makes this difficult, I've heard many doctors say this. I've had conversations with um, officials, uh, uh, people in government, people in in healthcare. One of the things they say is that what makes this, what we're fighting so difficult is you can't see it and we don't really understand it. The way President Trump has said it multiple times is an unseen or unknown scourge. The truth is that just as this virus passes without being seen, the enemy of our souls is active without us seeing it. Just because we don't acknowledge it doesn't mean it's not happening. One of the things that this passage, one of the things that Mark makes abundantly clear is this. That there is evil in the world that is warring against our souls. Last week we talked about some of the things that have questions that have been out there is about where this came from, what's happening. Is this God's judgment on our land and the world? And I don't have the prophetic knowledge to tell you one way or the other. But I can tell you this, that I know that whatever it is, the enemy's going to try to use it to discourage and despair God's people and the people who do not yet know Him as their Savior. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But here's the second truth. Jesus is Lord. Now, I know I can't hear you saying amen, but I hope you said amen at that moment. Jesus 
is Lord. What I love about this passage is that it is almost farcical. It's almost comical in the actual uh, confrontation that happens. We don't even see in this story Jesus' initial description to come out. And what I love is that Jesus comes, Jesus, the Lord of all, comes. He has just calmed the winds. He has just calmed the waves. One person said that what this is, one commentator I read said that this is the story of Jesus after calming the storm outside, calm the storm inside this man. And he just walks onto the scene. The man comes immediately and Jesus says, get out of him. And the demons, now there are some that think that what Mark is showing here is that through the storm, through this demon confronting Jesus the moment he got off the boat, that he's saying, don't come into my territory, don't take over here, we know who you are, we don't want you here trying to thwart Jesus. And what we see immediately is Jesus cannot be thwarted. Jesus cannot be stopped. Jesus cannot, cannot be defeated. And what happens in this passage is that Jesus comes out and says, come out. And the guy, the, the demons start bargaining. And we're talking about an army. We're talking about thousands possibly of demons bargaining with Jesus saying, don't make us do that. What's interesting is at the end of chapter 4, there's a question that the disciples ask. And it's simply, who is this man? And in the response to that comes through legion in this passage when he says you are the son of god the most high that phrase by the way the most high that's not a jewish phrase that was a pagan phrase mostly and it was used to describe the god that is over all the other gods now obviously judaism doesn't believe in other gods but the gentiles would have we don't believe in other gods there's only one god that we see that are part of the trinity the uh, the trinity is three in one jesus is god God the Father, God the Spirit. But they would have had multiple gods. They would have God of their region. And what they're saying is, we have gods of this region, but you are the representative, the Son. You are equal with the Most High God, the God, the one and only. Exorcisms was a normal kind of thing in those days, or at least attempted to be. And while they're there... Jesus, or the exorcism of old, would have had incantations. They would have had special words. They would have special thoughts. They would have made special recipes, almost like spells or almost like potions. And then they would try that on people. Jesus just come, and he doesn't do any of that stuff. He just says, get out. And he's able to do whatever he wants to do. Let me just tell you this. I mentioned earlier that the enemy wants to take what's happening with our quarantine, what's happening with our safer-at-home, stay-at-home declarations around the country, around the world. And he wants, in the midst of that, families to be discouraged. He wants senior adults to be discouraged. He wants those of you that are living by yourself to be discouraged. He wants people that are in the midst of this. It's not going to get easier as the days go along. He wants you to be discouraged and despondent and upset. He is working against your family even now. He's working in this moment even now to distract you from the message that God is speaking to your heart. He is working in your family to distract them from the message that God is speaking to your heart. He is working, the enemy is, to distract us. But even in the midst of that, Jesus is Lord. 
So he cannot be defeated. He cannot be taken away. He cannot be stopped. And so in these moments, don't waste your social distancing. Don't waste your quarantine. Make sure that you're focusing on the one who is in control, who is over all. Third thing that we see in this passage, not only is evil real and Jesus is Lord, but thirdly we see, without Jesus, we are all dead men walking. Scripture teaches us that without Christ we are dead. Dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, dead in our mistakes, in our wrongdoings, in the things that we choose to do against God. Not hurt, not injured, not ill, dead. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians says, Once you were dead in your transgressions, dead in your sin, but now you have been made alive with Christ. This man was considered dead by his neighbors, by the community, by his family. He's living among the tombs. It is a picture of death until Jesus comes along, until Jesus frees him, and then he is whole and made clean again. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Wages of sin, what we deserve, what we have been paid, what we have earned is death because of our sin. And without Christ, that is how we live. And without Christ, if we die, that is how we will live eternally, is separated from him, eternally dead. It is appointed man wants to die and then the judgment. This man realized that his hope came in Jesus. Somehow he was able to get to Jesus. Somehow the demons were thrown away. And he now is a follower of Christ and is speaking the gospel to his family. If you're watching today, if you're watching live, or you're watching later, you're watching sometime this week, can I say to you that without Christ, you are not injured, you are not hurt, you are dead in your sins. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. I would urge you that if you're somebody that's never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no better day than today. There is no better time than now. And you're contemplating and you're thinking and all that's happening. My prayer is that you would be someone who would give your life to Christ. Now, if that's you, I'd love for you to let me know. I'd love for you to email me at pastor at fbcglisville.com. If you're watching on YouTube or you're watching on Facebook, you feel comfortable there, you can put it in the comments section. We had somebody last week talk about someone that accepted Christ last week. We are thankful for that. Praise God for that. I want to celebrate that. One of the highlights of this quarantine for me was seeing the church, our church family, celebrating with them online as that was announced. You can message us through Facebook. But we want to know. You need to tell someone. Last thing we see and then we're done. That in the midst of all that's going on, in the midst of our lives being changed by Jesus, we cannot, cannot forget our mission. Don't forget your purpose. Don't forget your calling. Don't forget your commission. This man was changed by Jesus. 
It was evident. We talked about, um, we've talked about in the past that those of us that have been saved by Christ, those of us that have our lives changed by Christ, it will become evident in the way we act, in the way we talk, in the way we think. He became consumed with him. He wanted to follow him. He wanted to give his life to him. I mean, if you were this man, wouldn't you want to leave the community that had shunned you for so long? That How are they going to think about me? Are they going to give me a second chance? But Jesus says, no, you have a different task. You must go to your family and tell. Listen, let me just tell you something. I, I mentioned don't waste your quarantine. and We take, mean that a lot of times. Say, spend time in the Word. Spend time praying. Spend time. And that's all awesome. We need to be doing all of that. If you're looking for a way to connect, I'd love you to be part of my pastor's online Bible study. I'd love that. You can find the information on our website. Email me if you need to know it. But part of not wasting our quarantine is not forgetting our mission. Not forgetting our mission. Is there someone in your life, maybe through a Zoom call or FaceTime call or through a letter, people saw letter writing is up. Is there someone in your life that needs Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who in your life needs to come into a saving relationship with Jesus? Who needs to accept him as their Savior? Maybe it's time to write a letter to them and just say, I'd love to have a conversation about that, even if it's distant. I think about the centurion that comes. It's got someone needs to be healed back at the house. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come. He says, you don't have to come. You can just speak and it'll happen. Distance has never been a factor in the power and the saving power of Jesus. So even though you're watching me through a camera, even though you've got relatives around the country that you haven't been able to see, that is no, that is no problem when it comes to the power of Jesus. The stories of a man whose life was completely rearranged, but the ending of it says that he found his true purpose when he went and told his family, and the word they used there is that they were overwhelmed with astonishment and excitement and enthusiasm. The understanding is that this man is one of the first missionaries for Jesus to the Gentile world. What's your calling? What's your purpose? What's your mission? And are you still fulfilling it even in the midst of self-distancing? staying at home. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I know that the Lord has spoken to many of you today. And my prayer is that you'll respond however the Lord leads you to respond. After I pray, Jeff's going to come up and lead us in some worship, and then I'm going to come back at the end and give you an important announcement for our church family specifically. But in this moment, as I pray, I want to ask you to respond. While Jeff's playing, You can do it later this afternoon, but I would just advise you, if there's something that God is speaking to your heart, it's better to do it now and not wait. So if if you are someone that needs to talk to someone about what it means to accept Christ as your Savior, then email me. Give me your number. I'll call you. We'll talk. If you're somebody that needs to give your life to Jesus Christ or you've done that, in a moment I'm going to pray and I'll give you some words that you can say in the midst of that. That's you. Then I'm going to ask you to let us know, to comment, to let us know what's going on. Maybe you realize that there are some people that you want us to pray for you about, that you need to share the gospel with through uh, online, through social media, through a letter writing, through a phone call, a Zoom call, a FaceTime. I would just ask you to do whatever it is that the Lord 
gives you to do. Simply respond. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray and know that distance is never an obstacle. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ gathered all over this area, all over this country. But we're thankful that you allow us this opportunity to gather in this way. And Lord, we long for the day that we get to be back together. Lord, I pray it's quickly. I pray it happens soon. I pray that this virus, Lord, that you as the great physician who could speak and it would end. Lord, we pray for a miracle of biblical proportions to spare the lives of people that you love and that we love and to show the glory of your great name. Lord, I pray for the spiritual warfare that families and individuals are encountering. Internally, Lord, as we're separated and as we're alone and quiet more than we normally are, as our lives have ground to a halt in many ways. Lord, I pray for protection against depression and despair, against the thoughts that get into our mind about inadequate thoughts of not being able to fulfill these new roles that we're having to play in our lives. Lord, specifically today I pray for those out there that need to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, If there is one today that is watching, that is listening, that that needs to happen, Lord, I pray that it would happen right now, that they would say to you, that they would pray to you, even in these moments, these words. Dear Jesus, Heavenly Father, I've I've messed up. I've done things that aren't right, not right against family members, against friends, against acquaintances, but most importantly, Lord, I have disobeyed you. And I confess today, Lord, I can do nothing about that, that I deserve eternal death. But, Lord, I believe today that you have died for my sins, that you have saved me from my sins because of that. I accept that salvation that came through the cross and the power from the resurrection. And I accept you, Lord, as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray if there's one that pray that, that they would let us know. Not for our numbers or our sake, Lord, but for the glory of your name. Lord, I pray for those that are um, that are followers of yours, that are just trying to fill out, fulfill their purpose and their passion and their mission in this time, Lord, that you would give us clear directives on what that looks like. Lord, I pray for our missionaries around the world that are struggling with how to minister in the midst of this in a foreign land. And Lord, I pray that you would give them favor and opportunity to speak. Lord, we hear even reports of the church spreading in Asia exponentially during this time. Lord, we pray that you would light the fire and continue to stoke it for that to be true. And most of all, Lord, we pray that during the midst of all this, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray.